0: Amen. As always, it's a blessing to be here with you. Thank you for taking that time to pray for our neighbors um, that we've met, that our prayer walk team has been able to meet. Uh, sometimes I just, part of the reason I wanted to do that uh, for us today this morning was uh, to remind each of us, especially if you've never been on one of our prayer walks, uh, that that our prayer walk team is building genuine relationships and friendships with our neighbors uh, in the colony apartments, and they share with us real uh, prayer requests, and we we enjoy being able to to let our neighbors and our friends know that we are indeed as a church praying for them and lifting them up uh, because we do care for them. If you're a guest, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know we're doing things a little bit uh, differently. I'm excited to get into the message for today. We're concluding uh, our sermon series that we're calling Ghosts and Ancestors uh, today. as We're going to look into the life of a man named Joseph. Uh, One of the things that we notice about Joseph... Uh, Is that in his life he goes through a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain, as we'll see as we work through, work our way through the text for today. And one of the things uh, that people who maybe are skeptical of our faith, skeptical of our God, one of the questions they often ask is that if God is real, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why are there so many problems? Why are there so many people who are hurting, maybe maybe you had a similar experience as me, even if, as you were reading through the list of prayer requests that we have, that there was there was some, some prayer requests that were a result of deep suffering. One of the questions that I think is important for us to have a handle on that I'll try to get into today is, does our faith, does our God offer us anything of substance, of meaning in a world full of suffering? In a world full of pain, what does our faith in Christ, what does our God have for us, to offer us, to to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us in a world so riddled with great suffering? Today, we'll look at at Joseph's life to get a bit into the answer to that question. Genesis 37, we'll start at verse 3. Genesis 37, beginning with verse 3. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. If you King James Version's coat of many colors, that's what you. It's the same coat. It's the same one. You just read it different. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him, and could not speak peacefully to him. You ever been so mad at somebody you can't even talk straight to him? So mad you can't even utter peaceful and kind words to this person because of the level of anger because of how much you despise that person. This is how much Joseph's brothers despised him and hated him because of how much their father favored him. Now, if you've been with us the whole time, you know this has been passed down from one generation to the next. Because Joseph is the son of Israel, you might remember that his name was Jacob, and Jacob's father liked his brother Esau more than him, as we talked about earlier. So one of the things that we're seeing is that Isaac, who played favorites, with Esau over Jacob, we've been talking throughout this series about being an ancestor or a ghost, that we pass down either good or bad to the generations after us. We see that what Isaac did, and his favoring his older, his older son over his younger son, now this is being passed down, and future generations are experiencing pain and hurt because of it. One of the things... That I find to be important that I want us to take out of this. And I think I said it earlier in the in the sermon series, is that oftentimes, one of the uh, oftentimes when something happens, specifically in the book of Genesis, even if they're doing something wrong, the Bible doesn't always come straight out and say that it was wrong. Even if you're paying attention, you probably can tell. But one of the ways that you notice that it's wrong is because it causes destruction. It causes pain, it causes hurt, oftentimes maybe in that specific time or in the following generation, and we see that happening here. So we're going to see what happens as a result of this favoritism that Israel is showing to Joseph. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So we see this hatred, this family dysfunction continues on from generation to generation in this family. Verse 18, I'm going to jump down a little bit to verse 18. They saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. They can't even say the man's name. They can't even say, here comes Joseph, our brother. Here comes this dreamer, the one who thinks he's going to rule and reign over us. Verse 20, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. So this is not just anger towards him, even though this is anger towards him. But what they're saying is, if we kill him, we're not going to have to bow down to him. And we're going to see about this dream that he has where he thinks that we're going to end up bowing down to him. There's pride that's involved here. There's hatred that's involved here that began with this favoritism that that Israel showed to Joseph. Because we have a lot of scripture to get to today, I won't read it all, but to catch you up on the story, they ended up not killing him because Reuben, one of the brothers, told them to just throw him into the pit without killing him. Then Judah, another brother, recommended that they just sell him to some people that were traveling to Egypt. So they sold their brother, their youngest brother, into servitude to some people that were headed to Egypt. And then they was, they deceived Israel their dad into thinking that that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. So his dad just grieves and grieves and grieves the loss of his son. And then when he got into Egypt, he was sold into servitude of Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. So he's now this servant of Potiphar. Here's what happens, Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian. He had brought him from, he had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. Verse 2, very important. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Jump down to verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 6, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So he puts Joseph over his house, over over everything. He's like, Joseph is so trustworthy. He is so faithful. I'm just going to give you control over over everything. The only thing I'm going to be concerned about is what I eat. Continuing in verse 6, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You know, things turning right there when it was like, we weren't even talking about that. Where'd that come from? We weren't talking about that. Verse seven. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Verse eight. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Check this quote. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. My man saying, how am I sin against God like that? He's practicing self-control because she is coming at him day after day. He wouldn't listen with her. He wouldn't even lie beside her, much less sleep with her, the Scripture says. Verse 11, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me, But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Now, Joseph is getting lied on and in one of the worst ways possible. When he done everything right, she grabbed him. He ran out of his clothes to get out. He's done everything right. And now he's in this impossible situation where he's he's going to lose no matter what happens. Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Verse 21 But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So Joseph was punished for doing everything right. He was thrown in the prison when he hadn't done anything wrong. This is the second time he has gone from this position of honor to a dreadfully low position because of other people's sins. But here in verse 21, we find another theme of this glorious and painful story. Verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph. That's point number one. God is with us when we suffer. God is with us when we suffer. There are few things that cause us to question the presence of God in our lives as much as suffering does. Suffering and hardship and prolonged grief have a way of making us ask God where he is. God, I've been dealing with this pain in my body for years now. God, where are you? God, I've been praying to you for so long about this illness or condition in my body, and you haven't taken it away. God, I've been serving you and showing up for your kingdom and your mission, but I don't feel like you're showing up for me. God, where are you? God, I see you showing up for this person in in their life or in this person in that relationship and in that family, but I don't see your presence with me and mine. Suffering and hardship and prolonged grief have a way of making us ask God where he is. But the Bible has a way of reminding us time and time again that God is always with his people. And here's the thing. Joseph didn't just experience suffering. I said a little bit earlier, but he always fell from an elevated status, which oftentimes makes it feel even worse. Here's what I mean. Joseph was the favored son, the chosen son, if you would, in his father's house. Had the coat of many colors. His father esteemed him higher than his brothers. He has this dream about how he's going to reign over his brothers and those in his family. And literally descends, literally to the bottom of a pit. He gets sold into captivity, but he does a good job, he works well, ascends to being first in command in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar is is second in command under Pharaoh. So he ascends to an extreme high for someone who was sold into servitude. God is with him, God is blessing everything that he does, and then for doing everything right, again, he gets taken, he gets arrested, and put in prison. It's the, he he descended each time. It wasn't just suffering, but it was a loss of things that he had. It was a loss of an elevated status and position. Being brought down can really cause us to question God's presence because it's the feeling of moving backwards when we thought we were moving forward. But the Bible reminds us that even in the trouble and pain and suffering and difficulty, God is still with him. Family, I need you to know something today. If God's plan involves you, I need to ask you a question. I should say, if God's plan involves you decreasing, you do still know that he's with you, right? That if God's plan feels like moving backwards, feels like you're not making any progress, you do know that God is still with you, right? If there are steps backwards when you were planning on moving forward, you know that God's with you, right? If you hear something from the doctor that wasn't what you were expecting or hoping for, you know God is still with you, right? If you are now working a job that feels like a step back from your previous job, you know that God is still with you, right? There are a lot of things said and shown about Joseph's life in this story. The Bible shows and tells us that he was betrayed, that he was abandoned, that he was unwanted by his brothers, he was mistreated that he was treated like property, that he was captured, that he was falsely accused and lied on and arrested for something he did not do. There's many things that the text shows us are true of Joseph time and time again, but there's one specific thing that it says about God time and time again, and it is that God is with him. Each of us in here has a list of sufferings of our own. All of them are valid and true and have caused legitimate hurt, to us, whether we caused them or whether they were caused by others. I know there are many things that we can say about our lives as well, whether that's physical pain or emotional pain or scars or pains and sufferings in our minds. There are many things that we can say about our sufferings, but if you have placed your faith in Jesus, there's one specific thing that you can say about God time and time again, and that, it, and that is that he is with you always and through it all. Through it all, he is with you, and that is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is because of the comfort we can feel from knowing that he is with us and has not abandoned us, and that he is strengthening us to endure whatever life brings our way. But it's also a powerful thing because it keeps us from allowing the lies of the devil to ensnare us and lead us away from the God whom we love and who loves us. I hope you caught what Joseph said in verse 9 of Genesis 39. I'll read it again just in case we might have missed it. This is Joseph talking to Potiphar's wife. He says, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything for me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He said, how can I do this and sin against God? He didn't say, what if we get caught? He didn't say, I don't want to do my, my master like that after all he's done for me. Because he brought me out of this low place and elevated me to this high school. He didn't say, I don't want to do my master that way or my boss that way. He didn't say, I'm not attracted to you like that. He didn't say anything like that. He said, how can I sin against God in this way? How can I sin against God? How am I going to sin against my God like that? I was talking to my brother Jason about this. And he said, this is incredible because oftentimes we let our suffering cause us to feel entitled to sin. I was like, say more, say more words, say more words. He was like, when we're going through a tough time, we're, we're like, after everything that I've been through, I deserve this sin and the pleasures that come with it. After the suffering that I've had to endure, surely, surely no one would be mad at me or think any type of way about me for, for indulging in this thing because of everything I have been through. After everything I've been through, I deserve this. I mean, yeah, I went off on her. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be patient, but there's only so much a person can take. Man, I ain't doing that all that they asked me to do on this job. They don't pay me enough for that. Translation, translation. I'm not going to keep my word and do the things I signed up for and gave them my word that I will do because I don't think they're paying me enough. That's the translation. Well, my spouse isn't doing X, Y, or Z for me, and my needs aren't being met, and I deserve to be happy, and this person is showing me attention and affection and making me feel so much better than my spouse makes me feel, well, we all have needs, and I deserve to be happy too. We feel entitled by our suffering, as if bad things happening to us gives us reason or excuse or justification to, do, to not do what God has called us to do. I mean, the system is messed up. Can't nobody live the way they want to live in this economy? Of course I lied on my income taxes. That's free because that's coming up soon for some of (laughs) y'all. Suffering causes us to feel entitled. Sometimes if we don't feel like God is with us, we don't remain mindful of the fact that God is with. If we don't remain mindful of the fact that God is with us through it all, then we start making decisions, hear this, based on the presence of our suffering more than the presence of our God. I'll say that one again for you. If we don't remain mindful of the fact that God is with us through all of our suffering, through all of our pain, then we can start making decisions based on the presence of our suffering more so than the presence of our God. Listen, family, the, in, the enemy would love to use the suffering in your life to lead you away from the joy and the peace and the maturity of Christ, or maturity in Christ of following God as he calls you to. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for his tricks. Don't fall for his schemes. He would love to use the pain in your life to make you feel like you're well within your rights and even you're morally in the right still to turn away from God and live for sin instead of for God. Don't fall for it. I don't know, that's right. I don't know what the Potiphar's wife is in your life that is tempting you in your moment of suffering. Don't fall for the deceit. Don't believe the lie, don't take the bait. It's never as good as you desire it to be. And I want to make sure we're aware of the depth of Joseph's suffering. I just want to make sure we've thought about it. This man has been separated from his family and everything that he, literally everything, that he held dear. His father and his mother, he doesn't know what they told his dad about why he's not there anymore. He doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. He suffered such a traumatic experience of being physically forced into a pit and then being sold away to a place that he isn't familiar with. I can imagine the fear and the sadness and the anger and the hurt of the violence and betrayal. I can imagine the level of uncertainty and fear and confusion that he's experiencing. I can only imagine the questions he sent up to the God who's been with him through it all. There was This was no small amount of suffering that he's experiencing. And then he works his way up to the top. He works hard. He remains faithful no matter what the circumstances are. He continues to represent God in a way that's faithful. I can only imagine how easy it would have been for him to be like, no one could blame me for enjoying this kind of pleasure after what I've been through. I could imagine he would, he would have felt like, hey, it is time for me maybe to enjoy something that's outside of what God has for me after everything God has caused me to endure. But Joseph doesn't succumb to this feeling of entitlement from his suffering. He remained committed to his God who was with him through the suffering. It's crucial that we remain aware of God's presence during our suffering. It's crucial that we don't allow a sense of entitlement to lead us to make decisions based on the presence of our suffering more than the presence of our God. And it's also extremely important for any of us if we're going to walk in maturity as believers that we remember this this next point. God uses our suffering. God uses our suffering. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for the good of his people. This doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It means that He is, that as he's working to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he's going to use the good and the bad, the joy and the sadness, the pleasure and the pain, the gladness and the grief... To see his will be done and his kingdom come as he blesses his people. And that's exactly what we see in Joseph's life. See, God ends up giving Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And so so Joseph interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh has these dreams. He's wondering, he's calling people to try to figure out what do these dreams mean? So somebody lets him know, hey, I met this man who's in prison named Joseph. He can interpret dreams. So they, they bring Joseph out. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And he ends up letting Pharaoh know, hey, there are going to be seven years of abundance and plenty here in Egypt. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. So what Joseph does is so Pharaoh puts puts Joseph over, over basically the entire kingdom and said, follow Joseph's plans. So Joseph leads them to, to save to store up during the years of plenty instead of just indulging they're gonna they're gonna store up and are gonna practice the, the level of self-control to store up for seven years of famine that, that come after the seven years of plenty and of abundance here's where the story begins to become full circle the famine doesn't just take place in Egypt the famine also takes place in Canaan which is important because that's where Joseph's family is coming so the family is not only in Egypt the famine is also right there in Canaan. And so Joseph's brothers have to come to Egypt to try to find food in the seven years of famine. And Joseph sees them. He sees his brothers. He sees the ones who betrayed him. He sees the ones that turned on him, that hated him, even before, even before they put him in the pit and intended to kill him, but eventually sold him away. Even before then, they hated him to the point that they couldn't even speak kindly to him. They come to Egypt in search of food, food that was only there because of Joseph and God working through him. Because the only reason they knew to store up the food was because Joseph was able to interpret the dream. And when they go to Egypt, Joseph sees them. Joseph being the mature man of God that he is, being the faithful man that he is. He forgives his brothers for what they did to him. But he doesn't just forgive them, he saves them. He saves their family. Because they would have likely died in the famine had not Joseph interpreted the dream that led Egypt to save up for those seven years. They would have have died had not Joseph extended kindness to them as well. He saves them. And it's a beautiful story of forgiveness and Joseph continuing to follow God and not being entitled to revenge against his brothers and all of that. There's also something much greater than Joseph's forgiveness and godliness going on here. And we we get to see that in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 50, beginning at verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions, this transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. So this is this is the reality of the dream in the beginning. They're bowing down before him saying, we are your servants. So what is Joseph going to do in this moment? Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? This is Joseph face to face with the ones who traumatized him, who sold him away, who betrayed him, who committed violence against him. And his focus in this moment, just like it was when he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife, is not on himself, it's not on his own suffering, it's not on everything that he's been through, but it's on God. He says, am I God? Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I for am I in the place of God? As for you, you've been evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He doesn't allow the presence of the suffering to prevent him from responding based on the presence of his God. He tells them that God meant all of this bad for good. He is so focused, so mindful of God and his presence in this life that he's able to, to look past and look through his own suffering and see God had a plan. God was at work. God is greater than my suffering. He's telling them that God's good is more powerful than their evil. He's telling them something that every believer in God needs to know, that God is so in control of everything that the evil never has the final say for the children of God. That the suffering never has the final say for the children of God. That family and the entire kingdom of Egypt was saved because God used Joseph's suffering for his purposes. But it goes even deeper than that. And this is important if you're going to be, if you want to understand a lot of what's actually happening, sometimes maybe, maybe underneath the surface in the Old Testament. This is important for you to understand going forward. Every time the life of this family, I'm talking about the children of Israel, every time the life of this family has a threat against them and they're threatened and someone is trying to kill them or call them to perish, you need to understand that if this family perishes, then God is not faithful. Every time they endure and are protected or are saved, it is an act of God's faithfulness to them. You see, the children of Israel surviving is eternally important. Here's why. This is the most important family in the world because of what I talked about when I preached about Abraham and Jacob. God made a promise to Abraham that through this family through his lineage, all nations in the world were going to be blessed. He's talking about through Jesus Christ coming through this lineage. That's the promise to Abraham. That was the promise to Isaac. That's the the promise that he made to Jacob. So if this family dies in the famine, then God's not faithful. So this suffering that God used when he was using the suffering in Joseph's life was not just for Joseph, was not just for that immediate family, was not just for Egypt. This was for the salvation of all of his people. God uses this incredible, this unthinkable, this awful suffering, this horrific suffering that Joseph went through to accomplish the eternal salvation of his people. Family, sometimes I think we look at verses in the Bible where God tells us that all things work together for the good of his people. And verses like what Joseph says when he says what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we think, yeah, but I don't see how God can use this awful situation that I'm in for good. I don't see how God can use my particular and specific suffering that I am dealing with for good. Family, if you think that God isn't able to use your suffering for his purposes, whether you can see how he does it or not, the story of Joseph screams out to us from thousands of years ago and says he can use anything for his good and for his purposes, or for your good and for his purposes. He can use your worst sufferings, your worst grief, your worst pain for his purposes, that your pain and suffering does not have final say he does work everything together for the good of those that love him. He is stronger and more powerful than your suffering. And if you are a child of God, your suffering does not rule over you or conquer you or have the final say. And as if Joseph's story wasn't enough, there's another story that I hope you're a little bit more familiar with that proves this even more. Because even because even though it's awful that someone like Joseph who, as far as we can tell, didn't do any harm to his brothers. He was seized by those that wanted to kill him and then handed over to those that would bind him. There's another that was perfectly sinless, the chosen son from the father. He didn't have a coat of many colors, but he was arrayed in majesty and splendor on high. He had never sinned, and yet those who should have loved him and cherished him turned him over to another kingdom to bind him and harm him. But unlike Joseph, unlike Joseph, Jesus was killed by his enemies. Unlike Joseph, Jesus Jesus didn't just suffer by being imprisoned, but he was killed by his enemies that he was handed over to by his own people. But and also unlike Joseph, you see, Joseph, he, he was elevated. because of of what he did in this life. He served really well and he was elevated from what he did in this life, but he didn't have to die to get there. But unlike Joseph, Jesus died and now he is elevated even higher than Joseph Is there's no king that reigns over him. He sits on high and throned in the heavens and he's going to return. And when he returns, when he returns to make everything right, you'll no longer have to have a preacher stand in front of you and remind you that God is present with you in your suffering because this king is going to come back and he's going to rid you of all suffering and all pain and all harm that's ever been done to you in this life. You will see him face to face. You won't need reminders. You won't need faith anymore. Your faith will meet sight and you will see the goodness and the presence of God for yourself. He's going to reign and rule over everything, including your suffering and your pain and your sin and your grief. And he's not just going to grant you abundance for seven years, but he's going to lavish on you his grace and steadfast love for all eternity. No longer will you have to fight the temptation of trying to use sin to get comfort in the middle of your suffering. Because the one who makes all things new, the king who will be seated on the throne, will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And there will be no more sorrow or crying or pain anymore because the one who is with us through the pain will lead us out of it forever when he returns. God uses the suffering of Jesus to bring that all about. God uses our our suffering for his purposes and let us never forget it. And family, one of the things that we're reminded of week in and week out as we partake in communion together is that God uses suffering. When we take the bread that represents the body of Jesus that was given for us, it's a reminder that Jesus suffered for us and out of that suffering, we find our salvation. When we take the juice that represents the blood of Jesus, it's a reminder that our Savior shed his blood and in the most awful and cruel act in the history of all of creation, that God was killed by his creation, we're reminded that God can use any amount of suffering and any amount of pain for his purposes. So family, just a few moments when we approach the table for communion, let us do it mindful that God can use anything, that God can use the worst of things, that God can use any amount of suffering and pain and grief in our lives and that it does not have the final say in our lives. Family, pray with me.